I would want to tell people that the climate is changing and we've kind of, we've set, we've set this in motion and there's no going back. We're, we're at the best and least scary point right now. Hi everyone. And welcome to Western Planner Radio, a podcast where we try to connect with planners around the West, learn from each other and try to build up the West together. I'm your host, Paul Moberly editor of the Western Planner, and our guest today is Laura Paskus, environmental journalist and author in New Mexico. We're talking about her experience in environmental issues and about her new book, At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate. Hi, Laura. Thanks for taking the time to chat. So you're not originally from New Mexico, yet you've really become rooted in that place. So why New Mexico? It always bugged me that I couldn't see the sunset or like see very far. I always kind of like wanted to scrape away the the trees to be able to see. And this is the first time after college driving out west. Um, I just was like, oh, I can finally see the world. Like I can finally see what's happening. Um, and really the first time I drove into Albuquerque coming um between the Manzano Mountains and the Sandia Mountains, there's this pass called Tijeras Pass, sort of driving west into Albuquerque through that pass. And um, you look out over the middle Rio Grande Valley out to Albuquerque's West Mesa, and it's just, it's an extraordinarily beautiful and open um, landscape. And, you know, at the risk of just being like super cheesy, like I just felt like I am home. Yeah, I get that. I'm from Eastern Washington and I grew up in pine forests and despite time in, in other places that I've lived, I haven't felt that sense of homeness, you know, um, home just really isn't home without the, the smell of those pine trees. Yeah. Like you said, like the pine tree smell for you, I, you know, it's like, there are certain smells that just like send you, like can send you so many places. Yeah, how we interact, you know, absorb our environments really connects us to them, you know, through sight and smell. And um, so other than loving the open landscapes of New Mexico, tell me something unique about yourself. Um, I am really boring. Um, I really, really like being outside. Um, it's the reason I became an archaeologist. It's the reason I became an environment reporter. I'm super bummed by how much time I spend in front of my computer as opposed to being out in the field. Um, but I just, I feel really grateful to do the work that I do because I do get to be out in the field with interesting and kind and thoughtful people all of the time um, and learn about the world in ways that are exciting to me. I mean, I feel like the main reason that I'm probably a reporter is because I'm excited about and interested in these things and I want to learn more about them. And then I'm excited and I want to share it with other people. Um, and so, yes, please. Can I just spend as much time as possible outside? <laughs> that really is such a theme for us out in the West, for sure. Our interaction with our landscapes that surround our cities, that really defines us in so many ways in the West, how we work in them and with them, how we recreate in and enjoy them. Our lives are in part defined by our surrounding landscapes. 
So changing path a little bit here, how did you get into environmental journalism? So my first career was as an archaeologist and a tribal consultant, and I loved field work, and I loved learning about the southwestern landscape and communities and cultures, but I did not like that everything I learned basically was written up in a report that nobody else ever got to read. And so it felt like a natural transition for me to go into journalism where I was still learning about all these things, but I was able to um, help people tell their stories and tell stories about what's happening in communities across the Southwest. Um, and people could use that information to, to help make better decisions um, and holds elected leaders accountable, holds corporations accountable. You've covered a range of stories. What is one of the most memorable or transformational stories you've reported on? So I think one of the one of the stories that I think has a, that's affected me the most over the years is you know we we uh, I've covered wildfires before like when there's a big fire burning. Um, and that's like this, this you know, sort of big, this big event, right? And you kind of pay attention to that one thing happening. But a few years ago, I went out to a place in the Jemez Mountains that has never recovered from a big wildfire that we had here in New Mexico in 2011. And it was like this big, huge fire, Las Conchas. Um, in 2011, and it was like a really fast-moving fire, um, high-severity burn, and it was like a really scary thing, even for people from Santa Fe who were watching that, who could see the flames that night. I could see the um, pyrocumulus cloud from Albuquerque the first day that it happened, um, but I went back into this. It burned a total of 156,000 acres, but there's this one section in the mountains of about 30,000 acres that was a pretty dense conifer forest um, when the fire happened. And it's now a basically completely open area in many spaces. And you kind of look over into the Rio Grande Valley now and can see like Cochiti Reservoir downstream. It's just changed the entire face, that eastern face of the Jemez Mountains there. In some places there's, um, you know, the conifers, the, the seed source was destroyed because the fire was so hot. And so you see like some areas where aspens or locust trees are coming in. Um, but there's some areas that are just completely devoid of anything other than kind of like grasses and to see an entire landscape like that change and not not go back to what it was before um, to really change the entire landscape has been a really big lesson for me in that when you're covering climate change you can't just report on the event you have to keep coming back to see what happens after the event and to to kind of be um, watchful and, and, you know, part of the, the issue with this section of former forest as well is it's warmer now. So the same types of species can't come back. Um, 
So then you see that the types of birds change as the vegetation changes. And it's really, it was easy for me the first time I went up there to feel very depressed. But then the more I go back, I'm like, well, this is what the landscape is now. So what am I going to stand up here and cry the whole time I'm here? Or am I going to look around to see like what different species are here? How has the watershed changed? Um, and I think that's been a really, that reporting that story and sort of what's happened to the Jemez Mountains after Las Conchas has really changed my sense of time and also um, kind of like giving up on feeling depressed because if you're just going to, if you're just going to feel sad about all of this stuff, you're just, you're not going to get up the next morning. <laughs> You know, it sounds like you're going through the stages of grief. Uh, but that's that's interesting because I always think of the environment as a generally resilient thing that changes slowly over time. However, what you're saying is there are fundamental shifts that can happen in an ecosystem in a very short period. That's a compelling definition of resilience, I think, too. Strength through adaptation, not resilience to stay the same, and just kind of take the beating. I'm... I'm thinking of parallels to our communities, especially many of our rural communities where people want things to be like they were in the good times when incomes were better and the community was thriving. Uh, but to draw that parallel, adaptation and sometimes radical ad adaptation is a necessity. Yeah, and I know how hard it is. I mean, I want things to, I think we're all finding that right now, right? Like I want things to go back to normal, but that's, that's the past, baby. Like, we're not, no, we're not going back to, we're not going back to any of these things. And I mean, should we even go back to what things were like in the past? Like we're moving forward, right? From an environmentalist perspective though, at, at least one I've heard frequently is, is that we want to heal the earth from what we, what we've done to it, but perhaps that's not realistic or even required as environments evolve over time, uh, better to move forward and adapt together then. Um, so what are your thoughts on environmental issues and community resilience, sort of pairing those things up? Yeah, so I think like New Mexico is a really interesting place to think about those issues because we do have all these communities, um, whether that's tribes or, um, you know, like the Asequia communities here in New Mexico. And, and they have such a long history and so much experience with, um, with going through like crummy times, right? Whether that's like climatic shifts or like long droughts or, um, you know, three waves of colonial armies. <laughs> um, like these are communities and these are people and collective memories that know a lot about surviving and thriving. Um, and so I think, I think even as like our technology evolves, there's so much to be learned from how people lived on a landscape and in a way that was sustainable. Um, and I think we have, we have like so much to learn from one another about all of those various things. I keep thinking about, I keep coming back lately to thinking about how one of the impacts of climate change here in the Southwest is we'll see these 
longer and more extreme heat events and looking at, you know, how all of our houses are built and looking down along the border, especially you have like a lot of cinder block homes with fans or evaporative cooling systems. And as, you know, temperatures are exceeding 100 degrees, 105 degrees, like those homes are not safe or healthy to be in. And so it really is like an issue of learning from how did people live in cooler houses and, and order our lives to stay cooler in hot weather with what technologies and information do we have now. But that's like a really, that's like a really big thing that I think about for the Southwest is, is how we make it through these extreme heat events. Yeah, since cultures and communities have adapted to thrive in different environments, we can learn from those communities and see how their adaptations and innovations can be rediscovered and become new innovations for us to adapt to our changing environment now. Uh, so changing direction a little bit, tell me about your book, uh, why you wrote it, and what we can learn from it. So I wrote the book because I had been working on lots of reporting about climate change and kind of wanted to put it, <coughs> excuse me, I've been working on lots of reporting and stories on climate change and kind of wanted to put it all in one place. Um, as a reporter, I've worked in TV, radio, online, magazine, and I kind of just like wanted to, to put things all in one place together for New Mexicans to kind of have um, a resource to understand why the climate is changing and how it will affect New Mexico and our landscapes and communities. And the original kind of version of the book was very much kind of like a potential guide for policymakers, um, you know, kind of in thinking about what, what they should do or could do. Um, and I kind of ended up changing it and making it more accessible to general readers because I don't think decision makers are necessarily motivated sometimes to do what they need to do. Um, and so I wanted to make I wanted to make something that would put that information in the hands of general readers who could then um, you know, talk to their families, talk to their kids, talk to their parents, um, talk to their legislators, and have um, you know data-driven information. But I also kind of wanted to tell the story of climate change and kind of what it has felt like as a reporter and as a mom and as somebody who spends a lot of time outside what it has felt like to learn all of these things, because I think that it is an overwhelming issue and it is really easy to feel like it's hopeless and everything is changing in terrible ways and there's nothing we can do. And I think by being honest about my own like uh, sadness sometimes about these issues would maybe help readers understand that like it is okay to be sad and feel overwhelmed, but just, you, that doesn't mean you get to stop thinking about this or working on this. Um, so it was kind of twofold to build a connection with people, but 
but also give them the facts that they need to maybe move forward on actions. It is easy to get hung up on the challenges and hit that wall and give up. Uh, so really moving past that and continuing forward. Uh, describing that speaks to one of our roles as a planner, I think, providing information to decision makers and helping them be informed on the issues they will address through legislative policy. It's also one of the roots of journalism, right? Whereas we typically inform local government officials as planners, journalists typically inform the general public, both, uh, but, 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 but both groups make decisions, hopefully based on those facts, <laughs> that data, right? Uh, they don't always, but, but hopefully they do, right? You said your book is a compilation of your previous work. What themes did you pull out from reviewing your work in that way? There are themes that people have picked up on in the book that I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> so I think like I'm so much like a deadline driven person and thinking like, how do I connect with my audience that I oftentimes like, I'm not, I'm not, I am not a good planner. <laughs> there were themes that came through naturally then, those that you didn't insert. So what did you explicitly insert or what did you want people to walk away thinking? Yeah, I guess with the with the book, I wanted mostly, there were like a few um, places that I just really wanted to make sure people understood, especially like water challenges on the Rio Grande and um, kind of these longer term impacts of these big wildfires. You've been called New Mexico's voice to initiate these dire dialogues. As one of New Mexico's primary voices on these issues, what would you want people to know? What would you want to tell people? I would want to tell people that the climate is changing and we've kind of, we've set, we've set this in motion and we've made the choices that we have, we've made choices like to um, rely so heavily on fossil fuels. We've made all of these choices in our lives and in our society. And there's no going back. Like we don't, we don't get to erase climate change. Like there's, there's no going back. We're, we're at the best and least scary point right now. You know, the sea levels will continue rising. We'll see these big um, fires, we'll see big storms, um, we'll see um, droughts and, and increasing aridity and all of these challenges. Um, and so we have no choice at this point except to confront climate change and accept it and think about how to not make it worse, how to mitigate greenhouse gases and also how to think about adapting in ways that benefit the most people. Um, we have to be thinking on a big scale in terms of community and not, not always thinking in terms of like upstream, downstream, urban, rural. Like we need to be here in New Mexico, I think in particular, since this is where, this is my home, um, we have to be taking care of one another and thinking about how we all get through 
these challenges. Um, well, that's not very articulate, but I think like the, the main thing that I want people to understand is that the climate is changing. We've done this and now we need to figure out ways to move forward where we're taking care of one another and we're taking care of our landscapes and our um, water resources and thinking about how we make things less hard for future generations because we've made things so incredibly hard for them. We've handed them a, a society that is divided and troubled and we're handing them a planet <laughs> that is troubled and changing. And we need to make sure that we are giving them as many opportunities and as many tools as possible to be dealing with these challenges instead of continually taking more tools out of the toolbox. I like what you said, it's about mitigation, adaptation, and providing tools to future generations, not limiting their options, but increasing options of things they can do to thrive in their new habitats. So even setting aside climate change, climate uh, change uh, issues, that seems to be at the root of our purpose for planning as well, increasing the options of future community members. Are there any other topics or themes you'd like to emphasize from your book? I think like one of the things that I would love to emphasize is that um, I mean I guess this maybe applies more to New Mexico than than some other places but I feel like here in New Mexico one of the things that I think about a lot is that our diversity is our strength here there's like a diversity of experiences and cultures and landscapes and the more we understand about one another and the more we learn from one another, the better chance we have of weathering all of these challenges. And I think sometimes we can be uncomfortable with diversity or we can worry about how we can all relate and um, come to solutions. But I think those hard conversations in my experience are the most interesting ones and the most fruitful ones. And so, again, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't feel incredibly discouraged about climate change in the Southwest and in New Mexico, even though the challenges are great. I feel like if we can, if we can work better and listen better to one another, I think that there are astonishing and exciting opportunities for the future and a future that is 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 beautiful and sustainable and and maybe even better in many ways than what we're experiencing as a society right now i do think that has applicability to all of us in the west as planners we are in the middle of some of those conversations in the public realm trying to facilitate dialogues between diverse groups. It doesn't always look like matchups that, that we typically think of regarding diversity, uh, but that discussion and dialogue is such an important part of the unifying understanding and compromise that needs to happen as we build our communities. You know, discussions relative to our public lands and the environment, like we're talking about here, is a great example of that, where we have a diversity of opinions and perspectives, but need to find common ground in that land, not in spite of, but maybe because of how that environment, that landscape has, has shaped us. Th thanks, thanks so much, Laura, for taking the time to talk with us. 
It was a great pleasure to chat with you. And thanks also for being an important voice for the environment there in New Mexico. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Bye. And that wraps up this episode of Western Planner Radio. Check out our website where you can get more great planning content at westernplanner.org. While there, you can sign up for our e-journal, which is written by planners for planners. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And join us next month. In the meanwhile, let's keep building up the West together. Thanks. Thanks.